Um, we're going to open our verse of the year this morning, which comes from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. But we're going to read the first 10 verses just to give us uh, a bit of context to that. We're going to spend not very long in verses 1 to 8. Uh, and we're going to focus predominantly on the statements that are made in verses 9 and 10. So we'll commence reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. And Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says this, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep myself from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, would you still our hearts? Would you speak to each and every one of us as we enter into this new year? Would you frame this year for us? Would you challenge us? And will we leave here, Lord, knowing something more of you, challenged to be more like you, created in your image? Amen. So this morning, as we've already said, we're going to be opening up the verse of the year. I've entitled this sermon this morning, Embracing Our Weakness. A little bit of background in this passage. What we see in verses 1 to 4 is this revelation that Paul has of God's glory. Paul is directly writing to this rebellious minority in Corinth. You see, the Greeks believed that those who truly represented the gods would experience mystical visions. So the false teachers who were leading people astray were doing just that. They were claiming visions, they were claiming revelations from God. And the Corinthians were being deceived by this nonsense. So it was necessary, although reluctantly, as we see for Paul, to share his own vision, his own genuine vision. Verse 11, just after this, says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it. This is the last thing he wanted to do. Why? Because it shows some form of pride. It shows something of his closeness with God that he did not want to share. He didn't want to boast. He didn't want to share because it might make him look better than others. But he shared it so that they might know the truth. Paul wanted to share Christ and not of his own experiences. It's interesting in verse 1, why doesn't Paul share? Why doesn't he tell us more of his own incredible visions, of his own revelations? He tells us in verse 1, because there is nothing to be gained. 
Why? Because they're not a prophet to the church. They're not beneficial. They weren't verifiable. They couldn't be repeated. And they led to pride. And I think it's interesting that as we look around us today, as we see an influx across social media and books of, of all forms of media, this, I've got this vision, I've got this revelation, this idea of being closer to God, this idea of yeah, being able to see something else, what Paul's reaction to that would be. Paul himself wouldn't want anything to do with it. So I want to move from there and I want us to focus now um, in verses 9 and 10. I've got two points this morning. Our first point is our weakness. Verses 9 and 10, which we're going to read several times this morning. Read this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This morning, our first Sunday of this new year, as we gather around the table, I'm convinced that embracing our weakness, understanding our weakness, understanding where we go wrong, understanding our downfalls, Giving it to God and finding our strength and our sovereign God is the best thing that we can do. What do you associate with the word weakness? These are the first images that pop up in Google. Sorry, Paul, just go back one for me. Thank you. These are the first images that pop up when we type in the word weakness. This idea of the ball and chain, something that holds us back, a weak link, something that we're not strong enough to lift. The Achilles heel, somebody that's weak, a, a rope that is frayed, somebody that is tiny compared to a massive question. If you Google the question, if you Google the word weakness, some of the things, some of the answers that pop up are what is your greatest weakness? The dreaded interview question. Or there's a stock market page that pops up, how to capitalise on weakness. Or how about active life scholarships to tackle your weakness. Tackle the weakness. Capitalise on the weakness. Weakness isn't a positive thing. We know that. But the world tells us that weakness is something to be hidden. That weakness is something to be avoided. Something that holds us back. Something that strong people, that good people shouldn't have to deal with. Do you know, I'd be interested if you interview people for a living, how many times you ask, what is your weakness? How many times you feel you get a genuine answer to that? Or how many times it's, I don't know, I need to work on my organisation. Or something like that. How many times you feel you get a genuine response? Because it's a difficult question. The world tells us if we want to be at the top of the pile, then I must be the strongest. I must have it all together. There must be no cracks. There must be this veneer of this life that is complete, that is together, that is held. If my life shows no problems, no weaknesses, then I'll go far. If I look like I'm doing okay, it's all going to be okay. The weak don't go far. The weak will be last, but the strong will go farthest. That's what the world would have us believe. But we know that it's complete nonsense. 
We know that what the world would have us believe about our weakness is complete and utter nonsense. Paul gives us four examples of weakness in verse 10. Firstly, he gives us insults. Maybe there's something in this you can relate to. But when people find ways of making your faith, your lifestyle, your words look stupid, look inconsistent, something to be made fun of. I don't know if you have any of those people in in your life that just think they're joking all the time. Maybe it's a family member or a colleague or somebody that you have to spend time with, but they just don't get your faith. And they're just constantly, constantly niggling away at you. They're constantly questioning, they're constantly demeaning you. Hardships, a subject that we know Paul covers in such depth throughout all of his letters. Hardships are circumstances that we do not choose but that come upon us. They're negative things that happen in our lives. It's a situation in which we feel trapped, we feel isolated, we feel lost. Persecutions. Persecutions look different to different people around the world, but it looks like wounds, it looks like abuses or painful circumstances, acts of prejudice or exploitation from people because of your Christian faith. Or because of this moral commitment that you have as a Christian. It's when you are not treated fairly. Something that sadly we see more and more in our country. And then he mentions calamities. Something that's distressing. Something that's difficult. Something that troubles us. This idea of pressure. Or this weight that is pushing you down. Circumstances bring stress. And they bring tension. Paul gives us his example in verse 7. Paul tells us that he has a thorn in his flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass him. To keep him from becoming conceited or proud. What was Paul's thorn? Well we don't know. But there are many possibilities it could be. It could be physical. It could be spiritual. It could be emotional. Or it could have been something else entirely. Some of the biggest theories are temptation, a chronic eye problem, malaria, migraines, epilepsy, or a speech impediment. We don't know what it was, but what we do know is that it caused Paul great pain within his life. So what is weakness? What is weakness as a Christian should understand it? Weakness is something that makes us look weak. It makes us look vulnerable. Simply, situations or circumstances, things that we are put in that make us look weak. But it's important here to distinguish our weaknesses from our sinfulness and our bad choices. We don't associate the two here because um, Paul isn't saying that God's power is made perfect in our bad choices. He's not saying that God's power is made perfect in our sin or that we should boast in our bad choices, but instead within our weaknesses. There's a quote I just want to bring to you from John Piper that I love that says this. One of the reasons biblical Christianity has to be so drastically distorted in order to sell it to the mass markets is the market wants power to escape weakness and leisure, but Christianity offers power to endure love in weakness. Everything we see round about us, out with Jesus, seeks to escape weakness. As Paul brought to us, These ideas of running away, of taking flight, of fighting everything, of never being vulnerable, of never acknowledging that weakness. Do you know, I think it's interesting, if you look at the top ten Christian selling books of the last decade, 
uh, uh, the, since 2000, you'll find titles like Your Best Life Now, Unlocking God's Secrets, Change Your Words, Change Your Life, Prayers and Declarations that Open Up the Courts of Heaven, Unlocking Your Potential, Becoming the Best You, all these things that seek to set aside our weakness and go, just, just don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. It's not important. Just focus on the good stuff. This idea that we can be free of weakness. But this is where the gospel is so radically different. Because the gospel doesn't say set aside your weakness. The gospel doesn't say set aside the things that you are struggling with. The gospel of Jesus Christ says take that weakness and put it at the foot of the cross. It says take all of it and bring it before me. Lay it in front of me and let me help you. There is nowhere else we will have that offer like we have in Christ that says, let me help you. Simon mentioned these verses that I just want to mention again. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nothing in this world offers a promise like that offers. My first challenge to us this morning is what are you going to make of 2019? Where will you run with your weaknesses this year? Will this be a year where you seek to ignore where you seek to neglect the difficulties, the things that you struggle with, the things that you don't want to face? Or will this be the year that you run to the cross of Jesus Christ? Will you run to the Savior who has this promise that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? I want to turn to my second point that I've entitled The Beauty of Weakness. There are four statements that are made in verses 9 and 10 that I absolutely love. They are, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, for Christ's sake I will delight in weaknesses, and for when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know, I don't know the struggles that you face, I don't know the weaknesses that you are facing in your life right now. For some of us, they might feel small, they might feel insignificant, but they're there. Just simmering away somewhere. Just simmering under this look of a good life of somebody that has it all together. Whether it be physical, whether it be mental, whether it be spiritual or hardships or chaos. Or maybe somebody's hurt you badly, I don't know. But for other, others of us, maybe we come to this place this morning at breaking point. Maybe the second I say the word weakness, you just get that sick feeling in your stomach. Because it's so relatable. Because the weaknesses that you face are so evident. At a point where the pressures and the tensions of life are just building. That daily they are on the increase. At a point where somebody asks you, how are you doing? You struggle to answer that question. And if that's where you are this morning, I want to tell you that there are six words that God has for you that says, my grace is sufficient for you. There's a great story told by John MacArthur of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, an incredible man, eh, battled. His thorn in his side was his battle with depression. 
He documented it well, but he struggled massively with his battle with depression. And he was riding home one evening after a day of work, feeling weary and depressed. And the verse came to mind, my grace is sufficient for you. And in his mind, he immediately compared himself to a little fish in the Thames River. Apprehensive about drinking so many pints of water in the river each day that he might drink the Thames dry. The river replies to him, drink away little fish, my stream is sufficient for you. Next, he thought of a little mouse atop the giant grain piles of Egypt, afraid that his daily nibbling away would exhaust the supplies that cause it to run out. Then Joseph comes and says, cheer up, little mouse. My stores are sufficient for you. And then he thought of a man climbing a high mountain to reach the summit. And he was dreading that his breath might exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the creator says to him, breathe away and fill your lungs. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. When the weight and the tension of our weakness is upon us, we become like this fish. We become like the mouse. We become like the man climbing this mountain, afraid, irrational, overwhelmed. Of course a fish is never going to drink a river dry. Of course a little mouse is never going to eat great grain piles. Of course we'll never breathe all the oxygen singly eh, that we can out of this world. But as our weakness is evident to God, it is the same God that tells us that his grace is sufficient for us. The beauty of that is, is the father that sent his son to that cross. The grace that that showed, the grace that we see in Christ that went to the cross at Calvary is the same grace that is sufficient for us today. It's no different. It is the same grace. There is total sufficiency of grace. Those stories don't even begin to show the amount, but you picture a mouse compared to the tons and tons of great grain piles that there would have been. Think of it. It is so sufficient. So sufficient that that would feed nations. To overcome weakness, to see our weakness, to endure suffering, disappointment and pain, to obey God, to serve him effectively, to worship him, his grace is sufficient for every bit of it. There's never a shortage of the grace of our God. Our God is sufficient for everything. Everything physical, everything spiritual, everything material that we could ever need. If God's grace is sufficient to save us on the day of salvation, it is sufficient to continue with us and preserve us. How easy is it to blame God in our weakness? How easy is it to blame God for the difficulties? But instead we must cling to him. Instead we must embrace that weakness and take it to him. The second phrase in there, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I was thinking of this idea of refinement. Several times throughout the Bible we read of uh, this idea of the refiner's fire. The idea that impure gold is melted during the melted, uh, melting process. The dross is separated and what we're left with is 99.5% pure gold one of those examples first peter 1 7 so that the tested 
uh, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, uh, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just as the dross is separated from the gold by refinement, so our weaknesses are described as the fire. We're broken people. We're sinful people. But through our weaknesses, through the God that journeys with us in those weaknesses, we are being refined. Through it, our pride and our self-centeredness is being borne the way. Do you know, Paul had lost all ability with the situation in Corinth, humanly speaking. He'd visited them. He'd sent others to go with them. He'd written them letters. He was banging his head off the wall. He couldn't fix the situation. He was at a point where all he could do was trust in the will and the power of God. You see, when we're out of answers, when we're out of confidence, when we're out of strength, when there is no one to turn to but God, that is when we are in this position to be effective, when we are in this position to understand the strength of God. You know, the beauty of the kingdom of God is that no one is too weak to experience the power and the grace of our God. But too many are too confident. Physical suffering, anguish, disappointment, unfulfillment, failure. They squeeze the impurities out of our lives. They mold us and they shape us. You know, occasionally we see God work through substitution. In verse 8, three times Paul asks for the removal of his pain, he tells us. He was asking God for substitution. Give me health instead of sickness. Give me deliverance instead of pain and weakness. But more frequently our God works through transformation. The Lord's reply to Paul's prayer was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He doesn't remove the weakness. But he gives us the grace and he gives us the strength so that the afflictions work for us and not against us. Nothing of Paul's physical situation or circumstances had changed. But yet he proclaimed, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you know, I was trying to think of an example of this. And it hit me yesterday so evidently. As we sat here in the Thanksgiving service of our brother Cameron. A man that in great physical weakness, a man that near the end of his life was able to proclaim, I am at peace. Why? Because he understood that in his weakness, Christ was his strength. Because he understood that at the hardest times, that at the weakest times, that only in Christ will he find strength. And now he has the privilege of living eternity with our God. Thirdly, we read, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. How hard are those words? Delight in weakness. But we're called, we're called to delight in our weakness because in our weakness, the power of God works. How often in scripture do we see those who deny their weaknesses not used by God? We think of the young ruler in Mark 10 who has it all together. Anybody who has no weakness, it's this guy. The guy who's obedient, the guy with all the money in the world, 
The guy that's a good person that denies any form of weakness in his life, yet he's called by Christ to acknowledge his weakness, to give it all up, to embrace it, but he refuses. And in that moment, he rejects God. Because what he had, earthly speaking, was greater to him than Christ. To accept Christ, we must embrace our weakness. To deny our weakness denies our saviour. Why? Because we all fall so far short. Only when we acknowledge our sinfulness, when we acknowledge our weakness, when we acknowledge how far short we fall, do we acknowledge our need for a saviour? If we don't have any of those things, why do we need a saviour? We don't. This leads us to conclude in the closing words of the passage in our verse for the year. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, it's fascinating. The connotations of the words um, weakness are so negative. But the kingdom of God has this habit of turning things upside down and inside out. Taking these norms and doing away with them. And here is a great example you pose that to a random punter in the street. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. What? What does it mean? It's alien. It makes no sense. But for us, as believers, to know our weakness, to lift our weaknesses before God, to allow God to work through our weakness is strength. Are they not the most encouraging? Are they not the most comforting of all words? Do you know, no other religion, no political system, no amount of self-help, no amount of determination or anything else in this world can make you a promise like this. Nothing, absolutely nothing will make you the promise that in your weakness you will find strength. But only in Jesus Christ do you find that promise. When we embrace our weakness, when we accept that the struggles, the difficulties, the hardships and the challenges are like the refiner's fire. That are squeezing us, that are molding us into the image of Christ. That is when the power of God is seen in us. How? How am I strong when I am weak? Because your God is at work in you. When we abandon our pride, when we abandon the idea that I need to be okay all the time, when we abandon the idea that I always need to look all right, that I need to look like nothing is getting to me, when we abandon all of that, that is when we see our God at work. Do you know the beauty of this message, the beauty this morning is that it's okay to come in here broken. It's okay to come in here not okay. It's okay to come in here vulnerable. It's okay to come in here a breaking point. It's okay to come in here and not know what the future holds. It's okay to look at 2019 and be absolutely terrified. Because although you don't know, your saviour does. Maybe 2019 is a daunting and intimidating year for you. Maybe you're scared to go into this year. I want to encourage you to walk it with your God. Embrace that weakness and give it to him. Find good brothers and sisters to chat through this stuff with. 
Have somebody hold you accountable. Have somebody walk with you in these difficulties. You see, the rich young ruler couldn't do it. He needed his pride. He needed something of himself to cling to. He wanted to cling to what he thought was important rather than Jesus Christ. And you know, the beauty again of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you may never have let go of your pride. You may never have let go of your self-centeredness. But this morning, today, you can. Today, you can choose to, to acknowledge your need for a saviour. You can choose to turn your back on the expectations of this world and fall into the loving arms of your father. The same grace shown by Christ at Calvary is the same grace that is extended to you today. And that's my prayer for 2019. That we would acknowledge and we would embrace our weakness and in that weakness we would find strength in Christ. That we would recognize how far short of God we fall. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you? Are you content? Are you content in your weakness? Because the grace of God is big enough to give you strength in whatever you are going through. Many times we read of Paul being able to worship in his struggles. He accepted that his struggles were for the purposes of his refinements. He was able to look to heaven and give glory to God in the hardest of moments. Are you? May you know this morning that there is a saviour who loves you. There is a saviour that's love is so deep that he sent his son to hang on a tree for you. And it's that same God that is with us in every trial and every temptation that you face. Let's pray. Lord, you know each of us better than we know ourselves. You know our weaknesses and you know our struggles better than we know them ourselves. You know the number of hairs on our heads. You knew us before we were born, before we were in the womb. God, will we turn to you? Will we turn to you in our weakness? Whatever our weakness may be. Lord, this morning, if we struggle to identify our weaknesses, Lord, would you show them to us? Would you help us to turn to you in those moments? Turn to you in the moments where we don't know whether to go left or right. Your grace is sufficient for each of us. Lord, would you hammer that home to us? Would you make that so evidently clear to us this week? Would you bring joy to the difficult situations? Would you bring your peace into the situations that we feel no peace? Lord, you are an exceptional God. And we thank you. Amen.